Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQBD in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, how cross-generational friendships improve our lives. Meaningful relationships with people significantly older or younger than us make us healthier, less lonely, and more optimistic about the future, studies find. But connecting deeply as friends across generational divides is difficult in our often age-segregated social groups. This hour, we'll meet and hear from friends of vastly different ages and what we can do to cultivate more of these kinds of relationships. Are you in a cross-generational friendship? What does it give you that perhaps other friendships don't? We'd love to hear from you after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Sukari Addison and Kathleen Tuhill are close friends. They like to take walks in San Francisco talking about their families, their travels, their relationships. Sukari and Kathleen also have an age difference of 55 years between them. Sukari is 88 years old, Kathleen, 33. And if that sounds unusual, researchers and medical experts say they wish it wasn't. Cross-generational friendships have a lot of benefits, social, psychological, and health benefits, too. And to help us better understand the impact they can have, I'm joined in the studio by Sukari Addison. Thanks so much for coming in, Sukari. You're welcome. I'm also joined by Kathleen Tuhill on Zoom. Hey, Kathleen. Hi, thanks for having us. Glad to have you both. And Kathleen, you had to join us by Zoom because I understand you moved to D.C. a little while ago. Yeah, I did. Actually, fall 2020. Um, So now our friendship is a long distance one. And how have you been able to stay in touch? How frequently do you do you talk? Uh, So still twice a week. We have talked every Monday and Wednesday since the beginning of COVID. And so we have kept that up. And then we will often talk outside of those uh, biweekly check-ins as well. Oh, that's so awesome. So, Sukari, tell me about those first phone calls. How did you and Kathleen meet? And what do you remember about the first time you spoke to each other? I remember very well when I first spoke with her. She was matched with me through an organization um, my life, my stories. And she called and she said, um, she explained um, the relationship uh, that she was looking to have with a more mature person. (laughs) It was COVID. We were all kind of in and didn't know how to handle it. This was the first experience for both of us. Yeah, She just sounded so sweet. It was like, mm, I'm going to have a new friend. 
immediately. Um, we just clicked, as far as I'm concerned. After a few days of talking on the phone, um, we met up. We walked up a hill. I'm a little slow, but we walked up the hill. Um, we laughed. We talked. She was going through dating stages, and I thought that was fun. <laughs> and she felt free to speak to me about her dating life. So we had a good time with that. Yeah. Uh, it's just been ongoing. Uh, I was telling her a few days ago, one thing I liked about our relationship has always been a, quite engaging. We've always been very engaged in our relationship. And that's comfortable. Yeah. Uh, it's nothing boring about, about it for sure because... Um, I come from another generation, and she's in another generation that I'm just learning about. Uh, it's not natural with me like my generation. So it gives me a chance to be more open-minded mm. through our relationship. And believe it or not, she teaches me. I learn more about myself. I learned more than I could have learned without that our relationship as far as um, the mentality of the youth. What's an example of that, Sukari? Um, I learned to be more active as far as movement, which is very important when you uh, mature. It's very important always. And she shows the value of movement and activity even in her youth. So it's like, oh, no wonder I'm stiff. <laughs> you know, I'm not moving around enough. I'm not going to be able to move around as much as she does, but I know I'm not, I'm sitting down too much. I need to move around. Yeah. Um, that's one example. I can get blocked in thought process and think back in the 19th century. But she has a way of pulling me into today. Wow. You, you know, and I was asking Sukari Kathleen about those early conversations. I know one of the things that you were struck by, you both have talked about how engaging and how easy the connection was to start. But you also said you were really struck by Sukari's positivity. How did that show up? Yeah, I mean, I often, you know, when we start our conversations, I'll ask how she's doing. And she says, wonderful. And and it's just like such a genuine answer. Um, and so that's, that's something that I really admire. Um, and just her love of learning. So uh, early in the pandemic, we did a few virtual improv classes together, because that's something that I had done in person in San Francisco before lockdown. And I just had great things to say about the benefits of improv. Um, so that was something that we were able to bond over. And then after things opened back up and it was safe to do so, Sukari did three levels of the same, of improv at the same studio. And these are like, you know, three hour classes that go kind of late at night and they're physically demanding and emotionally demanding. And she was just, you know, doing it with people who are a generation or two younger. Um, so like that, that spirit, that love of life, that love of learning is something that I 
take away from our relationship. What role do you think your age difference plays in the dynamics of your connection that maybe a same age relationship doesn't really provide, Kathleen? Yeah, you know, I think I I went into the relationship and I saw it as an act of service. You know, I was matched with Sukari and and the idea was to provide conversation, to offer to get groceries to older adults who might not feel safe doing so during the pandemic and and so quickly it became not service. Like just <laughs> just, you know, a really genuine like Sukari said engaging relationship where we both learn so much from each other. Like I could just, I could spend all of our time together hearing about stories from Sukari's past, but that's mostly not what we do. You know, we talk about the present, we talk about the future um, and just being from different backgrounds, different generations. I just feel like it really lends a richness and a complexity to the relationship. You talk about dating. <laughs> it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sukari, you said that Kathleen encouraged you to write a book. How did you do that? Well, I had first, I would like to mention that Kathleen is an English major from Notre Dame. Mm. Notre Dame. And, um, I mentioned to her that I would like to write a book for my great-grandchildren because I am a great-great-grandmother. And wow. uh, being an English major, oh, she immediately, I'll help you with that. And um, it was to have someone to help me like that um, just gave me more spirit to do it. It's very hard to write a book about your personal life especially when you have to dig back in the years like I did. So because I am the oldest in my family and there's no one after me, mm. uh, there are no other elders. So she really helped me to uh, form it, uh, characterize it, uh, put it in... Um, sequences as far as um, my birth, my family, my mother being 45 years old when I was born, such things like that. Then she, of course, helped me with the literature. So it was just something that happened with us. I gave a little credit in my little 75-page book. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Nice of you. Well, it was my pleasure. Well, you know, I want to add to this conversation now, Laura Newberry, a reporter and writer of a newsletter called Group Therapy for the Los Angeles Times. And Laura has looked into the benefits of cross-generational friendships. Uh, Laura, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. So glad to be here. Uh, Sukari and Kathleen reflect so many of the benefits. But tell us, as you looked into it, what additional things you learned about the impact that that these kinds of cross-generational relationships can have. Right. I mean, I learned that there are so many benefits to these relationships, but I'll try to sum it up succinctly. So on the side of younger people, right, um, when young people don't really know their elders, they might have a narrow idea of what it means to age. And this can really negatively shape how young people think about their own futures as older adults. Um, Research has actually found that people with positive ideas of aging young people, they live almost a decade longer on average. Wow. Um, so young people who know older people 
come to understand that life is long, that what's happening in the present isn't necessarily what will happen in the future. You know, you don't have to cram everything into this one period of your life. Um, so in other words, you get more than one bite of, of the apple. <laughs> um, and for older people, you know, a big part of um, the health of older people is this idea of generativity, um, this drive to help people, to help develop the next generations. So older people who are able to, you know, help nourish future generations um, tend to be more alert, more alive, more optimistic about the future. And I guess conversely then, if there is age separation, you were talking about how people can develop, especially younger people, can develop a narrow idea of what it means to age. Does that contribute to things like ageism? Yes, mm. absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, if you don't have any models of what it looks like to age, you will inherit these really toxic ideas we have in our culture about older people not contributing to our society. Um, and you might feel bitter about the resources that go to older people in our culture. In my mind, not enough resources. But, um, you know, that really contributed to harmful rhetoric during the early pandemic in particular, where we were blaming older people for, um, you know, quarantine. <laughs> like, why do we need to protect these people? They don't have a lot of life left, which is Right, just obviously a very terrible way to think. But I do think it has roots in this um, siloing off of generations. We're talking about the value of cross-generational friendships in combating ageism, also the benefits that they provide with Laura Newberry of the LA Times, Sukari Addison, an octogenarian and friend of Kathleen Tuil. Kathleen Tuil is a writer and friend of Sukari Addison. There's 55 years between them. Do you have a relationship like this? Tell us about it after the break. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the benefits of cross-generational friendships this hour and hearing your stories. We're joined by Kathleen Tuil, a writer and friend of Sukari Addison, who's 33. Sukari Addison is 88 and good friends with Kathleen Tuil. Laura Newberry is a reporter and writer of the Group Therapy Weekly Newsletter for the LA Times that looked at cross-generational relationships. And do you have a friend who's significantly older or younger than you, listeners? How did you two meet? What do you like to do together? What does your cross-generational 
generational friendship provide that other friendships may not? Is there a moment you've shared that you think was mainly because of your generational differences? You can email forum at kqed.org. You can post on our social channels at KQED Forum. You can call us at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. And before the start of the show, we got this voicemail from Ray talking about Eleanor. Good morning. My name is Ray, and I met one of my dearest, dearest friends. Uh, her name is Eleanor. I met her in a substance abuse recovery meditation meeting. Randomly, we were seated next to each other, and we were both knitting, uh, and knitting, which for both of us had become our anti-drug, uh, was what initially connected us. And I'm 40 now, and I believe she's about 76 years old now, and this was Gosh, this was about seven or eight years ago, and she's become one of my dearest friends, someone I never expected I would have such a deep connection with. Uh, she's someone who inspires me constantly, who teaches me still, and I think I do some of the same for her. And we've both had some really crazy and unexpected adventures over the years uh, that we that have both that have resonated with both of us deeply. And I am endlessly grateful for this person and for what she is doing in her corner of the world. And uh, she's one of my heroes. Oh, thanks for sharing that, Ray. Uh, Jeannie writes, my good friend Shirley Cheng, currently 80 years old, is a fellow Dragon Boat teammate and 24 years older than I. We were both born in the year of the horse, and we enjoy paddling and traveling and playing mahjong and celebrating holidays and birthdays and other events together. We often room together at our out-of-town races and have traveled together in Europe and Taiwan for weeks to months. We also used to ski together as well when she was 75, and she calls me her ski genie. She's only a few years younger than my parents, but incredibly fit from daily workouts. She's an inspiration to me. Ooh, talking about being active, Sukari, and also about, <laughs> you know, how old she is relative to her parents, how how old Shirley is relative to Jeannie's parents. is making me think about a story that you shared that was really meaningful to you, which was actually meeting Kathleen's parents. What was that like? Well, uh, it was like a, another part of my, like a family. Um guess I'm so busy thinking of how wonderful it was. It's not easy to express. Yeah. They were so... First, Kat, Kathleen uh, sponsored me to go meet her family. They live in San Diego. And um, when I did meet them, it was like I had been knowing them all the time. They were just like she is. Yeah. Uh, her mother and father are so... Uh, family oriented that it's something that I had not even been around in a long time. Kathleen, why did you want Sukari to meet your parents? Yeah, I mean, I think at this point I had already moved to Washington, D.C. I was going to be back in San Diego visiting my parents. And of course, San Diego is a lot closer to San Francisco than Washington, D.C. is. And um, you know, I talked a lot about Sukari to my parents, to my brothers, um, and she's an important person in my life. So it was really great that she was able to come. Uh, she stayed at my parents' house. We went to the zoo. We went out to dinner. Um, she met my dog that I'd gotten after I moved to DC, and it was just a really wonderful visit um, and good to spend in-person time together after you know the pandemic, and then of course after moving across the country. Yeah, really deepening the connection and and really being intentional about deepening that connection. Let me go to 
Namit in San Carlos. Hi, Namit. Join us. Hi. Uh, um, so I wanted to talk about this uh, amazing service that I've been involved with. It's called Friendly Voices. And it got started around the pandemic time where uh, young people with uh, older, lonely adults. Um, and I've been involved with them for the last two and a half years. And I have uh, two friendships that I want to call out. One with this gentleman um, called Steve. He's 25 years old. And one with... Uh, Namit, I think we may have lost our connection to you. Oh, there you are. Go ahead. One with Steve and one with who else? Uh, Julius. He lives in uh, L.A. and he's 80 years old. And, uh, you know, I just talk to them for half an hour. They get a window into my life and I get to, you know, understand and experience them. And it's just been such an amazing service. And I've, I've built such amazing friendship with them. Uh, it's 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 uh, it's been very very uh, fulfilling for me. Oh, well, I just wanted to experience. Uh, that's so that. great. Thank yeah. you for that. Thank you for telling us about them. You know, Laura, your group therapy weekly newsletter answers readers' questions. And and what prompted you to take a deeper look in cross generational friendships was a reader question that said. What are some strategies for making younger friends? People my age are increasingly declining or dead, uh, this reader wrote in parentheses. Can you talk a little bit about, it is hard, right? It is hard to organically form cross-generational friendships. Yeah, it's, it's incredibly hard. You know, I think going back a little, it's important to have context about why it's hard. Um, you know, we used to be, uh, one of the most age-integrated societies in the world as recently as the um, early 1900s. And then industrialization and progressive reforms, you know, provided a path for older people to retire. And that shifted them out of the workplace during the Depression and, um, you know, assisted living facilities and retirement communities um, popped up, which, you know, these are all good things, right? <laughs> Um, but, you know, they had this effect of separate, separating age groups. Um, and so you really have to be intentional um, in a lot of cases, unless, you know, you're going to church or synagogue or temple, um, right? And maybe you can have those organic relationships um, to, to make them outside of your family. So there are really two ways to go about that if you're interested in in trying to form those relationships and you know the first thing are like formal efforts like organizations that really try to bring older and younger people together um i learned about an organization uh called san francisco village um and what they do is they pair older people living in sf with younger people who can help them stay in their community by you know, grocery shopping for them or walking their dog and, you know, relationships form that way. But otherwise, you know, if you're trying to do like a DIY intergenerational relationship thing, um, you really have to put yourself out there and go to places where you might bump into older people. Um, like any other relationship, you know, this will be built through seeing each other repeatedly and regularly and you should also have common interests and goals so i don't know if you if you play an instrument maybe joining a community band um volunteering at a library um being a docent at a museum like you might be likely to run into older people there um but i think my 
my personal favorite way of of meeting for older folks if if you're younger is and vice versa is getting involved in um activism or organizing um research research has shown that these two different kinds of intelligence that older people and younger people have when they're combined are actually really hopeful helpful in um mobilizing social movements do you want to talk a little bit about what you learned when you reached out to black roots alliance in chicago um, I actually didn't reach out to them. I just um, read a piece that um, one of the organizers wrote, yeah. but I can sort of tell you quickly what they said. Um, so this was Tamika Glenn of Black Roots Alliance. Um, she said, real transformative change requires us to stop strategizing within generational sites silos. Um, Each generation has particular needs and visions for their future based on the cultural conditions under which they were raised. Um, And if those of us who may be seen as elders are honest with ourselves, we can remember how much we resented being dismissed because we were young. Wisdom shows up at every stage of life. And if we are to pass on this planet to future generations, we must recognize the wisdom in one another. Mm, What a beautiful sentiment. I'm struck by hearing you talk about how it has to be intentional. And one of the first examples you gave, of course, were organizations that really try to create these kinds of bridges between generations. And I'd like to invite Sylvia Vargas into the conversation. Sylvia Vargas is the director of community engagement programs at Open House, which is a nonprofit organization serving older LGBTQ plus adults. Sylvia, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So talk a little bit about your programs. How do your programs make intergenerational connections? Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much. So Open House, we've been uh, serving LGBTQ community members in San Francisco uh, for over 25 years. And um, we, you know, we, we approach it from a holistic no wrong door approach. We provide a constellation of programs and services to meet the needs of uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, older adults, and adults with disabilities. Um, Whether they're peer-to-peer programs, um, but in particular, our intergenerational programming um, is real critical. our Friendly Visitor Program is one of our anchor programs, and I'm very proud of, of the work that we've been doing, especially during pandemic. It was really, really critical. Mm. But our Friendly Visitor Program, um, you know, really our goal is to amplify the resilience and perspectives of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer individuals across their lifespan huh. um, to build stronger communities. So talk to me a little bit about what you hear, say, is the impact on a younger person of having an older queer person in their life, meeting that person. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, many of our volunteers, they themselves are queer identified. Uh, either they've moved here from other places because of jobs, works, or coming to a place that is more accepting. And often we'll ask them, what is their why? Why are they volunteering? Why are they here today? Why do they want to be a friendly visitor? And often they'll say, I don't have any LGBTQ older role models in my life. And I don't, um, you know, the struggles that I experience, being able to connect with someone who has probably likely experienced a lot of the same, you know, issues, same concerns, um, same, same types of discrimination. Um, it really is empowering. And, and for some of our volunteers, too, the gratefulness and the gratitude of being able to give back, give back to the LGBTQ elders who paved the way 
for the many, many rights that we have today. Uh, so it's really important, um, that component as well. You told our producer, Francesca Fenzi, that as people age, LGBTQ elders, they tend to go back in the closet. Why? Yeah, you know, our you know, LGBTQ older adults strong, resilient, have had to be really, really independent, um, experienced a lot of discrimination, whether it was related to jobs, um, seeking help with medical providers. And so having to be so resilient and so strong as um, as we all age, um, you know, we're going to need to rely on other types of supports. And so, you know, a lot of LGBTQ older adults fear a good portion of them, and that's even in San Francisco, that as they start to need a l- higher level of care and need, they're worried about the person or the people that are going to be providing care. Are they going to be welcoming? Are they going to be accepting? Do I need to hide my identity um, when maybe an in-home worker comes in? Do I need to put away my pictures because of potentially being vulnerable to any type of mistreatment? It is an, it is an internal fear, um, and it's based on our trauma, the trauma we experienced. So does engaging with young people help alleviate that, these young volunteers? Yes. I just so appreciate Sakari who mentioned, you know, the learning from each other. You know, we think of our programming as kind of mentoring across generations. We have so much to share and so much wisdom that can that goes both ways. And that's what a lot of our folks will say, it's like, wow, you know, I, I matched with this amazing younger individual and they talk about, you know, the work they're doing, whether it's in tech and or they're showing me this new technology or, or I get to share them, you know, the technology early on that I have lived through. And so it's really empowering. We're talking with Sylvia Vargas of Open House, also intergenerational friends Kathleen Tuil and Sukari Addison, Laura Newberry of the Los Angeles Times, and with you, our listeners. Let me take another call from Therese in Santa Clara. Hi, Therese. Join us. Hi. Can you hear me? I can. Go right ahead. Great. Well, I um, I feel so blessed that when I was in my late 20s, early 30s, I met um, through a mutual friend, a dear soulmate who was 21 years older than me. And I just, I thank you for all, everyone who's been sharing, because for me at that point in my life, she really was this sort of goddess woman who I was like, wow, that's who I want to be, you know, (laughs) when I'm in my tissue. And then unfortunately she passed of cancer after only, you know, we were only together for a few years. Um, And now though that I've just turned 50, um, again, I'm like, I just think of her so often and who, you know, how she helped me become the woman I am. And now I have a dear friend who's 21 years older again. Um, we met through our dogs, and she's our neighbor. And um, because we don't, neither of us have our family members close by. She's become like a surrogate grandmother to my children, and you know, and our dogs are besties. And we just we do so many things together. And she's we've really become kind of these surrogate family members to one another, and especially during the pandemic. So. Oh. Um, I'm just so grateful for this show and for being able to share this special bond now that I have with our dear friend, Pat, who's our, also our neighbor. So Aww. thank well, you. Thanks for sharing, Therese. Um, Vanessa is sharing. Vanessa writes, I'd only just realized I was party to cross-generational friendships when talking to younger co-workers. I find myself talking to them the way a mother would, encouraging safe behavior and reminding them how important sleep is. We're friends, but I've quietly transitioned into that older person I talked to about life when I was 22 the roles reversed without my knowing. Laura, we were talking about some of the challenges of forming cross-generational friendships. And do you think remote work 
contributes to that? Because both Teresa and Vanessa are referencing meeting people of other ages in workplaces. Oh, absolutely. Um, And I've had this experience, right? Um, I was going into the newsroom at the LA Times a few times a week, and those were some of my most meaningful uh, cross-generational relationships. Like I there's all this institutional wisdom in a place like the LA times. And I was, you know, a younger reporter um, and I would learn a lot from them and have a really good time talking with them, you know? Um, and right. That all changed. Like I haven't been into the office in um, over three years now. So I really feel that void in my life. Yeah, it is. It is harder now. And while Sukari and Kathleen met as a result of the pandemic and sort of a call to help isolated elders, it sounds like the pandemic really has also played a role, you found, Laura, in making cross-generational connections harder. Sure. And I think um, right part of that was what I mentioned earlier was this idea of, well, one, ageism, um, did become more rampant during the pandemic. And, um, right, I mean, when we care for elders, we really don't want to put them in danger. So especially in the first couple of years of the pandemic before vaccines, um, we were just not seeing older people in our families as much if we yeah. were trying to protect them. Um, and I think a lot of that still lingers. Yeah, lots of nuances. Have you listeners tried to make friends with people outside of your age group? What worked for you or what made that hard? Share your stories about your cross-generational friendships. 866-733-6786, the number. Email address forum at kqed.org. Find us on our social channels at KQED Forum. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the benefits of cross-generational friendships with cross-generational friends, Kathleen Tuhill and Sakari Anderson, Laura Newberry, a reporter for the Los Angeles Times and writer of the Group Therapy Weekly Newsletter. Sylvia Vargas is director of community engagement programs for Open House SF. And you, our listeners, are joining, sharing the stories that you have about having a friendship with someone significantly older or younger than you, what you do 
together, how you met, what you think that cross-generational friendship provides that maybe another friendship has not, a moment you shared that you think mainly happened because of your generational differences. Or if you've tried to make a friend with someone who is outside of your age group, what worked for you? What made that challenging? The sister writes, my husband and I are empty nesters in our 60s. Our children have moved away, but three of their friends come to dinner once a week. It is the highlight of my week, and from what I can tell, a highlight of theirs too. They are super smart, and we have a lot of lived experience that makes us pretty wise. And when they need the support of an older adult who isn't their parents, we are always happy to listen and reassure them that they've got what it takes to make good choices and pursue their dreams. Let me go to Karen in San Jose. Hi. Hi, Karen. I just wanted to share an example of a cross-generational friendship that has happened between my team, 13, and some older women that she met online. I know that your um, panelists have talked about some of the downsides of not being in person to meet people, but this is a story about um, the benefits of being online and meeting people. So, um, for this last year, my daughter has been going through um, a profound amount of trauma um, due to some family illnesses. Um, And she essentially met online through a video game community, um, 40-year-old women, 45-year-old, they're they're my age. Um, And she's met these women, and they have been reassuring to her in ways that her peers could not because they have those lived experiences. They were able to, you know, help her with her homework, um, tell her that it was going to be okay, remind her to brush her teeth and take care of herself. And we just met them in person um, over the summer um, for the first time. You know, completely random internet strangers, people that you tell your children to watch out for, but instead there are these amazing cross-generational friendships that are like second mothers who are helping me parent my daughter through this really, um, really traumatic time of her life. Oh, Karen, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, Hearing Karen talk about the trauma of her daughter, Sylvia, is reminding me actually of something that you shared about how the pandemic for a lot of older LGBTQ folks brought back uh, traumatic memories of the AIDS epidemic. How did your organization play a role? How did the cross-generational interactions play a role in helping with that? Yeah, absolutely. The With COVID pandemic, we had to quickly pivot and... Um, it was incredible uh, to be able to have so many wonderful volunteers reach out to us, offering assistance, whether it was running groceries, errands, things of that nature, but also just being there to provide social and emotional support, um, you know, folks that did, you know, our long-term survivors or whether you, you know, lived through the HIV AIDS pandemic, you know, triggered a lot of our folks. Um, it's almost like, are we reliving it again? And also to the uncertainty. And it just brought back so much that, you know, previously that there wasn't anyone there in, in to help and folks had to rely on each other. Here we were again. And so, you know, the support of volunteers was so critical and matching folks up for one-on-one connection, uh, social, emotional, pr- practical support. Something that comes to mind too is uh, a match that we had with a younger volunteer who actually had gotten a recent diagnosis of HIV uh, and was matched up with uh, an older adult, um, long-term survivor. And it was so powerful wow. for the volunteer because they're like, I'm I'm matched up with someone who is 45 years my senior. And it's like, wow, I... I'm going to be okay. And and that person was instrumental and just our older adult instrumental and just helping to guide and say, yes, you're going to be okay. We've lived through, 
through something horrible. And we're going to get through this. We're going to get through it together. But be, having those intergenerational connections was so powerful. I think our volunteers, they get just as much from it as our adults do. That, that is really sweet. Well, Jerry writes, I'm going on 50 and I met John 85 in 2018 at Most Holy Redeemer Catholic Church. After mass, during coffee and donuts, we hit it off. It has been a godsend to know someone who is, like me, gay, Catholic, and yet different mm-hmm. in that he is white, born and raised in Wisconsin, and me, who is Mexican-American and born and raised in Texas. The whole time we have supported all we are going through health-wise, housing-wise, both very difficult and transitional for us recently. It has been nothing but empowering having him and a friend. He feels like a father, a brother, and a spouse at the same time. So I want to ask you both, Sukari and Kathleen, if you have any tips or advice for people who want to be able to foster more of these connections in their own life, what do you recommend, Sukari? First, I would recommend being intentional. Um, my peers have a tendency sometimes to be afraid of younger people, afraid of being um, criticized mm. or put down or less than. But if you're intentional with young people, I find young people to be very much acceptable. Um, yeah, more I think open we older think. people need to smile more. Young people are afraid of us too, because um, we don't. We have a tendency to get within ourselves too much. Just open yourself up a little more. Be willing to give. I think we still, as a mature people, have a sense of, uh, or should have a sense of more uh, responsibility to the younger generation because we've had experiences that we can cut short on them having problems uh, for one thing and many other things. And I like the idea of the different organizations that are getting into intergenerational, and we need to seek them out and find out what we can do. I have a lot of uh, young people um, who help me through life, uh, in more than one way, like you said, physically, mentally, and uh, spiritually. And it really adds to my maturity, to my old age. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> You're reminding me also of an article that I read that did say that older people tend to prioritize their existing relationships over seeking new ones. And so that intentionality is really important. Kathleen, what would you say from for people in your age group? in terms yeah, of tips for fostering these types of connections? I think putting people and generations and relationships in narrow boxes is is not going to help. You know, I think, like Sukari was talking about, that openness, um, that just sense of possibility that you don't know what might happen when you strike up a friendship with someone who has such a different life experience and so much to teach you and vice versa. Um, you know, I live in a big apartment building in Washington, D.C., and made a friend who's about to turn 85 and recently met his daughter when she was visiting. So I think something that I was like certainly more open to and even seeking just because of this really strong relationship that I've had with Sukari. Yeah, you know, Laura, I'm also struck about hearing both Kathleen and Sukari talk about 
this about the stereotypes that we may have. Um, one of the things that I was talking with our producer Caroline before the show was that she's a friend who sometimes worries when she's talking like, oh, am I saying something wrong? Am I being out of touch, right? And that that can be a fear that's hard for people to try to work through. And then we also just have an environment right now in our country where it feels like the divisions between groups, identities, ages can can feel more dangerous. Do you think that contributes? Absolutely. I I do think it contributes. Um, Right. I think in our country, we have a fear of people who are different from us in, in general. And ageism is such a big fear of that. And I think if anything is to change, um, we're going to have to um, put ourselves out there to start having experiences that um, speak against that assumption, right? That um, will be criticized or that this person doesn't have anything to offer us or this person will harm us. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It feels like the stakes are higher in, in environments like that. Let me go to Kale in Chicago. Hi. Thanks for calling, Kale. Hi there. Thanks for having me. So I want to briefly share two extraordinary friendships that I've been so blessed to have. The first was when I was attending Mills College, and I met this woman who had a daughter who graduated from Harvard Law. So we just had a lot in common, and she has been my rock ever since we graduated in 2005. And even though I've relocated to Chicago, she has been there for me every step of the way, and she's like an angel. Um, The second cross-generational friendship I had, I discovered when I was in Chicago at a cafe, and this man is 85 years old. Um, He's a Holocaust survivor. He was one of the hidden children during the Holocaust, Mm -hmm. and we just have this remarkable relationship, and we do Sunday supper, and he is extraordinary. And both of those friendships have added a layer of dimension and depth to my life that I would otherwise be missing out on. Their advice, their insight, even what they share, the, the regrets as they enter their twilight years has just been powerful beyond measure. Wow. Well, Kale, thank you for sharing that. And we also have a caller coming in from Arizona, Fred in Arizona, a lot of out-of-state callers today. Fred, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Very interesting discussion. Uh, I wanted to bring up something that I see as the uh, white elephant in the room, and that is the, uh, the loss of the multi-generational household and what that has meant to growing up as a child, where we don't have even many of our grandparents who are very much alive but living separately. Uh, the transition or the transfer of information back and forth or knowledge or just of love and what's involved with that. And mm-hmm. I see that as a, a serious loss in the, in the society. Fred, thanks for bringing that up. Laura, do you want to say a little bit about that, too? I know you've looked at how that has shifted in this country. Yeah, you know, um, after World War II, our culture really shifted to um, rise this idea of the nuclear family. And uh, for the most part, that has not included older generations before there were many generations living in one household. And that is still um, true for um, certain cultures um, outside of the States and even in the States. But um there is far less of that multi-generational living um, these days. And I do think that it would be good to get back to a place where um, 
we get more creative about how we live in that way, right? Because I don't think necessarily it's always the the healthiest way to live to be siloed off into um, small units. Well, Wendy writes, I have quite a few friends of different generations, some from a morning coffee group in a cafe that is no longer... Another I met early in the pandemic when she volunteered to bake a babka for me. Others are cousins I've met through 23 and me. some older, some younger. They enrich my life, and I hope the feeling's mutual. We are talking about cross-generational friendships, and you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me go to Kathleen next in Redwood City. Hi, Kathleen. You're on. Hi, yes, thank you. Um, 15 years of a small business ownership um, worked with many, many young children, young people. I was um, older when I bought the cafe. So working with teenagers, young 20-somethings, those kids mean the world to me. We got along, we bantered, we laughed, we joked, we worked together side by side. And it was probably one of the biggest gifts I've ever gotten in my life. I'm still friends with many of them even the ones from 15 years ago when I first started. I just recently sold the cafe, and I'm not sure that I know exactly what my life will be like without these young people. So Mm. it is a gift and a joy to stay involved with them. Yeah, and again, underscoring the need to create environments and and to have intention in those environments to create those connections. But thank you. I can hear a little bit of emotion in your voice, Kathleen. I imagine this is hard. Pat writes, I'm a Meals on Wheels volunteer driver. Consider volunteering to meet elders. We need you. Just one example of at least a dozen is Laura, who is 96. She and I have become very good friends, and I've learned from her how life has so many phases. She grew up on a farm. She grew up a farm girl, then a Rosie the Riveter assembling B-24s, then a university student with mostly male classmates, then a wife and mother, then a university professor, then a writer now on the phone, now on the phone banker for the Democratic Party. She is always telling me to look forward. Also a shout out to our oldest driver, Fred, at 96, a Holocaust survivor. You know, Kathleen, we've been asking our listeners if there's a moment that they've shared that you think was it was possible because of general generational differences or was you know there was a flavor to it that was added to the moment because of the generational difference and I was wondering if you have an example of that yeah I think you know more than a moment in particular it's just the wisdom I think that I have been lucky enough to benefit from um And I think, you know, talking about breaking down stereotypes and assumptions, like Sukari is such a youthful person. And I was saying like, so full of life. Um, And that, for instance, she will tease me about going to bed early in ways that I feel like our, our generations are swapped. Um, Because she goes to bed later. (laughs) (laughs) I guess so. Um, And, you know, much like Sukari wrote a book early in our relationship, I'm working on a novel about online dating and there is a character in the novel who is based on Sukari and, you know, in this novel has relationships with young people. Um, so, you know, just an example of one of the many things that I've been fortunate enough to receive. Mm-hmm. Sukari, you yeah. want to say something? Oh, I just appreciate her so much. <laughs> <laughs> so then do you have plans to see each other in person again anytime soon or? We'll play it by ear. Yeah. But it is, even if you can't see each other face to face, right, Sylvia? It is just the consistency of that twice a week connection that Zukari and Kathleen described, right? 
Yeah. Absolutely. Because, you know, you look forward, it's giving you something to look forward to. Yes. You know? It is very important to have something to look forward to. You know, one of the things I also <laughs> realized from reading a lot about cross-generational friendships is that there's a lot of them that form from, like, the gym. <laughs> so because it's a place that you go regularly or a trainer with a trainee or something like that, that the the reliability of seeing somebody a couple of days a week, three times a week, and so on, can lead to really incredible friendships. Let me see if I can squeeze one last story in from Ron in Embryville. Ron, you're on. Hi there. Uh, I just wanted to uh, share about one of my favorite uh, cross-generational relationships, besides the one I have with my dad, who's 86, is another 86-year-old named Dr. Scott. And, and uh, uh, he's known as Dr. Scott in our dojo. We have a we study a Japanese martial art, and I met him about 25 years ago, uh, practicing this art that um, is uh, Japanese swordsmanship. And it happened to be one of those things that you're better when you're 80 than you are when you're 18. <laughs> and he's been a teacher all his life. He was a Marine and a Marine surgeon and a teacher of surgeons. And uh, his sharing of the, 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 the medical ramifications of, of the art we do, uh, uh, three days a week we practice together. And if anything goes wrong with my dad, I immediately call Dr. Scott and say, hey, wh- wh- what, what, what should I do? How can I help my dad? And, uh, <laughs> and he's usually, usually Dr. Scott has either treated it or had it. Awesome. And he's able to help me uh, along. And, and he's just a terrific uh, fellow. Oh, Ron, um, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you, listeners, for reflecting the power of cross-generational, also cross-racial, cross-gender relationships and what they can bring. Thank you, Kathleen Toole and Sukari Anderson, Laura Newberry of the LA Times, and Sylvia Vargas of Open House. And let me tell you, this hour form is produced by Caroline Smith, Grace Swan, Dan Zoll, Francesca Fenzi produced today's segment on cross-generational relationships. Our team also includes Marlena Jackson-Retondo, Susie Britton, Danny Bringer, Brendan Willer, Jericho Reininger, Emiko Oda, Ethan Tovan Lindsay is our VP of News and our Chief Content Officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Mina Kim. Have a great weekend. I get a kick out of you. Get my kicks out of you. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. 
We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now.